every case is going to be different. Everybody don't think that if your loved one or yourself is diagnosed with glioblastoma, it's the end because there's people that are surviving. There's, but it is a very hard disease. And one thing is be patient as much as you can. And what I always tell people, <laughs> make memories, take pictures, do those videos and tell each other you love each other. Because at the end of the day, we don't know how long we're here for. So try to be the change in somebody's life or even your loved ones. Welcome to Glioblastoma, a.k.a. GBM, a podcast brought to you by the Glioblastoma Research Organization, highlighting stories with GBM warriors, caregivers, medical advisors, and more. Join us this season as we connect with members of our incredible community and have meaningful and insightful chats regarding all things glioblastoma. Please note that any information provided on this show is not meant to treat, diagnose, or prevent any disease, and all information that is discussed in our conversation is what worked for the individual themselves and should not be taken as advice. The information provided in the show is not a substitute for professional medical advice, and you should contact your medical provider and healthcare team with any questions. Welcome back to another episode of Glioblastoma, aka GBM. This week on the show, we're joined by Tracy and Oscar Gill, who are the parents of Liam Singh Gill who passed away 26 months ago from a grade four GBM at the age of three years old. This is an incredibly intense, difficult, and challenging conversation to have had. And I am so, so grateful and thankful for Tracy and Oscar for having taken the time to come on the show, to trust me with sharing their story and for sharing it with all of you. This truly is eye-opening to show that glioblastoma affects anyone, no matter what race, age or gender you are and from any walk of life and not that it only doesn't affect adults but it affects kids as well again i'm so thankful to tracy and oscar and let's get into it oscar and tracy gill thank you so much for taking the time to join me and everyone else here on glioblastoma aka gbm i know our organization's been in touch with you guys for the last couple of years following liam's story and we're so thankful to have you on today as the actual first parents and caregivers of the season hopefully there's lots more to come but we are so excited to have you here to share your story to share liam's story and welcome to the show uh, thank you thank you for having us it's we a- truly uh, appreciate it <laughs> as you know our son continues to mean so much to us and I mean, if we share his story, it could help other parents, other adults fighting. And also, like I always say, it could be somewhat of an eye-opener to this horrible disease. Absolutely. And so for those who haven't followed your story through Instagram or, or for those who have, do you mind just giving a recap sort of about Liam, about his story, how he was diagnosed, and I guess the beginning stages of his journey with GBM? Yeah, absolutely. So Liam was actually was a healthy two-year-old boy. His story started in summer of 2019. He is actually the middle child of our middle child. At the time we had a, we had a four-year-old, Liam was two, and then we had a baby girl who just turned one. So I was a stay-at-home mom. The only thing with Liam is, I don't know if it's just a boy thing, but Luke and Liam had a speech delay at a young age. So 
he was getting help from the regional center. And actually, he was exiting out of the regional program within that four months of him getting help. So in July, the week actually that he got tested, he was testing out of the regional center because he became too par of the age of three. So earlier that year, he was testing at 18 months of, you know, cognitive and all the abilities, basically yeah. not reaching his par, you can say. Not reaching his uh, breathing level or I guess the checkpoints that they have at certain ages. Yeah, right. So I thought it was normal because Luke was the same way, but he was excelling in the program. They're, they always tell me that he was their best case they've ever had. But again, it was a normal Sunday morning we woke up. We decided to, for some reason, we wanted the kids to go outside to into the little pool that we got on the night before. And Liam came running into the room and he was like cuddling with us, acting silly, huh? Yeah. And I decided to FaceTime my sister and she was just like, hey, Liam, what does the dog say? And then he started doing cow noises. And she's like, hmm. Okay, well, what does a monkey say? He'll start doing like uh, cat noises. And so she saw something right then and there like, hmm, well, maybe he's being silly, like a normal two-year-old. Within that hour, though, he came out of the room crying hysterically. And it was July 28th, to be exact. And like I said, he was part of the regional program. And I thought like behavioral issues with Liam has happened where he would bang his head because he was angry. So he came out of the room and my husband and my son were in the room and they were cleaning the room and he shared a room with his brother, Luke. And when he came out of the room, he was crying hysterically, hysterically, like if Luke does something to him and he was frantically rubbing his head against my leg. And I'm like, what's going on? So I'm getting upset with the, you know, the other guys like, Hey, what did you guys do to Liam? And they're like, we didn't do anything. And, you know, I try like checking his body. Like, are you okay? But he was crying this pain. And as a mom, I trace my steps back and I tell my husband, that's when he was hemorrhaging. There was something in his brain. Of course, we know now what it was, that that's the moment maybe when it, the tumor exploded. And I'll get to the explanations of what they told me about that tumor. And I couldn't console them. So I do live with guilt as a mom because we're taught to be starting tantrum, leave him there so he gets in his feelings or try to guide them, right? But at the same time, I'm like, I wish I would have known what was going on or he was more verbal to tell me I have a headache or something's going on. So I ended up leaving Liam. I said, I'm going to let you throw your fit. And it's the hardest thing to share with a lot of people because to me, that's a mom fail. And that's a guilt that I personally live with, even though people tell me, hey, it's not your fault. But as moms, we're here to protect our children. So I walk away and then my husband walks and he says he consults him. And Liam ends up being fine. After that, I went into the shower. My husband walks away. He starts playing with his brother. And Oscar went outside to throw away trash. Yeah. Well, Luke, to this day, I know our son's only four, but he remembers everything to the T. And when I say to the T, he tells me, we were, me and Liam were dancing to Tayu, some little bus on Netflix. And next thing you know, mom, he says, Liam turned around, stopped. He looked at me and he went to go lay on the bed. And so he goes, I thought that was weird. So I started jumping around him in the bed. And when I couldn't wake him up, I ran to dad. So that's where Liam's journey began. So he got how Oscar came in. You want to explain that moment? And then I'll take it from there. No, yeah. So Luke called me. He goes, hey, dad, this is weird. He goes, Liam's sleeping. I said, he's sleeping. I said, it's like 12 o'clock noon. Like, why is he asleep already? So I went into the room and 
I see him right there on the bed asleep. So, you know, I'm kind of like nudging him like, hey, Liam, wake up, wake up. And, you know, he wasn't really responding. So I said, okay. I started panicking. I called for my wife and then uh, she came out of the restroom. I took Liam over there and he was not responsive. So it looks like he, um, you know, it already hemorrhaged and the bleeding in his head caused him to, you know, maybe he felt it himself like, hey, I just need to lay down because I'm tired. And there we called 911. Yeah. So my husband went into total shock and he's always been the man of the house. Very, I'm strong. And at that point when I ran, I, I always hear that screech of his voice when he said like, Liam is unconscious. And I'm like, what the heck? I just left him, you know? But I'm running down the hallway and I felt like our hallway was miles long because when I grabbed the baby, his hands were shaking and his eyes were rolling back. And I'm like screaming, like, what happened? And then I'm like, call 911 and he's backing into the wall and I'm laying on the floor right here in our first living room. And I'm like, wake up, call 911, like we need help. When the paramedics end up coming, Liam jumped back up. I'll emphasize that because I talked to a lot of... I, medical providers. And I said, Hey, like you guys can't just assume a child is a flu like symptom in July. You know, now we could talk about, yes, there's, you know, we have a pandemic we're coming out of or still in, but you can't just assume the child is because their levels are coming out correct or blood work. I mean, they pricked for right. They pricked his foot and he didn't flinch at all. So that was a warning sign because, I mean, kids are going to flinch. There's some kids, yeah, maybe that don't. Right. But. but he's a two-year-old and you poked his foot. Yeah. And he, it was the left foot to be exact. It was, yeah, it was his left foot and he didn't flinch at all. And they were like, oh, my God, he's so strong. And I'm like looking at them like, as a mom, you get this gut feeling. I don't know how to explain it, but it's in your gut and your heart and your mind at the same time. And you're just staring at your child like something is off. Just like intuition. Yeah, it's a big intuition. And I'm standing in our bedroom because I ended up taking him to our bed to lay him down. And he came back to speaking again. So that's why they kept saying, oh, well, he's fine. Like, it just might be a flu-like symptom. And when I was walking out the sheriff, you know, he looks at me. And his words just hit me hard because he was like, I'm not going to tell you what to do. But if this was my child, I would take him to a children's hospital. Right then and there, I looked at him. I said, I am. I go, something's not right. He goes, you have a good day. And I'm like, all right. After that, when I came back, Liam fell back to sleep on Oscar's shoulder. And I was like, that's not normal. I was going with my intuition, huh? Yeah. And when I put him down, and I don't know what made me put him down, but I say, put him down. Like, I'm yelling, like, put him down. And then he puts him down on our bed. And that's when, as it is, our child was really fair skin. He was pale white. And his lips were like, a palish, not purple, but they were turning purple. And his eyes rolled back and he looked at me straight when before rolling his eyes back, he looked at me and he was like, my head. And I started screaming, something's in his head. Something's wrong with his head. And Austin wow. said, calm down, babe. Like, and I might call my aunt because we're further away from family. We're a good hour to two hours away from family. So the closest member we have is our aunt. And my aunt was already on her way because my mom, I told him like I was calling 911 the first time. But she was like, if I was you, I would just call them and tell them they need to take them now. So I fought with the paramedics again because they grabbed Liam and tried bouncing him. That's another thing that is like a huge no-no I advocate. You don't know just because a child is like looks lethargic 
don't start bouncing the child (laughs) because you don't know what's going on. So we end up going in the ambulance and then Oscar followed after. During the ambulance ride, that's when I knew the lady actually grabbed my hand and I I started crying hysterically. She grabbed my hand and she was just like, everything's going to be okay. And I looked at her and I said, no, it's not. And she looked at me and I was like, something's wrong with my child. I know my child. We end up getting to the to the hospital, a local hospital out here. He vomited. Then when we got into the actually the ED, he was so lethargic, so pale that they start questioning me. Of course, it's normal to start questioning me if he got into any type of drugs or any type of cleaning solutions. And I'm like, no, no, no. And then he looks at me, Liam looks at me. And again, he's two. Always said he was wiser than his age. And he's trying to vomit, but he couldn't bring up the vomit. And I look at the respiratory personnel and I was just like, something's wrong with my kid. If you're not watching, like something's wrong with him. He can't even bring up the vomit. And that's when our story started because Oscar walks in and they were like, we're going to do a CT scan. And I end up going outside to start calling family members. And Oscar said that he did vomit during the CT scan. And then we switched off. Liam came back from CT scan. I went in with Liam. Oscar went out to call his side of the family. And then that's exactly when they told me, I need you to sit down, mom. And then I got two security officers next to me. And I'm like, what the heck? They're like, and then the main, many of the charge nurse now sat in front of me and said, I need you to tell me what happened to Liam. There is a mess in his brain and he's hemorrhaging. And I, of course, as a mom, I'm like, I didn't do anything to my child. I need your guys' help to help my baby. Like I said, these episodes of that I'm explaining to everyone is because it still plays in my head like it was yesterday. And then I see Oscar walking in. I said, they think I did something to my baby. She's like, no, we just need to know what happened. I said, I don't know what happened. And they were like, I need you to calm down. And then they start hearing code white during the intercom. And she's like, you're going to see tons of nurses and doctors come in. And we're here to save your son's life. And they were like, we're going to intubate. And then it was like another, I'm not a big great anatomy type person that watches it. But what I do hear from my friends, like any type of show is you just see all these doctors and nurses, 30 plus of them rushing into your son's little body. And I'm just like, what's going on? And you, all you hear is these medical terms being called out. And then I hear, oh, we don't have that to go into him. And I'm like, what, where are we at? Like, you know, and at that time, Oscar's freaking out. And then they come and say, your son is hemorrhaging. We are not equipped for him here. What hospital would you like to go? Either Radies, which is in San Diego, California, or Children's Hospital of Orange County. And our kids always go to Orange County. Like that's where their doctors are at. And right away I said, Orange County. And then that's when they got, they were like, helicopters coming for him. Like, but we didn't know Liam was that critical till after he passed. And we talked to his nurses during his celebration of life. We just found out that Liam was actually the most critical patient in July 28, 2019 at Chalk Children's Hospital. He was not supposed to live 
those nine months that were given to us. He was actually supposed to, and I hate to say it out loud and gives me really chills because I'm the mom, but Liam was supposed to die within that moment or those days. He was not supposed to be here with us. So that's where our story started and how we got to, honestly, I'm not going to lie. I don't even know how we got to chalk. I know the pilot said, hey, remember, I'm flying the helicopter. Unfortunately, you can't come in because he had so many tubes on him. Amber, it was just crazy to watch. And like I said, at that moment, our phone, for some reason, I do have like a video. He has a clip of the video of him going in because I wanted to make sure that he got into the helicopter okay. But it was machines after machines and two doctors and a nurse and a pilot. I don't know, but it's so crazy to even go back and, and look at these things like, wow, like they were really trying so hard to help us out. But when we got to Chalkum, that's when they made me feel better as a parent. Cause you're over here thinking, damn, did I do something to my child when you never, like you didn't do anything. And the first thing when I arrived to Chalk, I went to the sixth floor. It's the PICU, which is the pediatric ICU room or section. And the doctor comes out. I think it was Dr. Knight. He comes out and he was just, you know, ma'am, we're going to try to operate on your son, open him up. He is shows that there's a mass. He starts explaining everything. And the first thing I say was, I didn't do anything to my baby. And he goes, it's not you. He actually has a tumor. So after that, that's when they operated on Liam. They try opening him up, try to biopsy the... Did a biopsy and then they did a resection. Yeah, but they couldn't get into it because he had so much blood in his brain that they couldn't touch the tumor, nor could they do anything else. So then they did a shunt after they did the shunt after, but they did the, they put a drain in his brain to drain out the fluid. So he was like that. Two days later, they did the resection of the tumor or the biopsy. And then a day later they did a, the resection of the tumor And when they did that, they said they got 90% of the tumor. So we were celebrating like, oh, wow, it's 90%. And that was around August 4th, you can say. So all this time, Liam was fluctuating a lot because he was in a deuce coma. He was in a deuce coma. His heart rate was dropping down to like 35 beats per minute. Oxygen was going low. And of course, at that moment, we We didn't know know that that was bad. or That, Yeah. And I remember one of right. his amazing nurses at Chalk, and I'm going to give her kudos to this day. Two of them, actually, one day, ship one night. Her name was Sophia at night. And she looked at me. She, I should see her frantically doing things like boom, 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 boom with Liam. And she goes, ma'am, mom, she goes, my focus right now is Liam. She goes, he needs me. And I know you're going to have questions, but if I don't answer you and I'm busy doing something, she goes, I will come back and explain everything that happens. And I'm like, okay, because when I tell you those machines are forever ingrained in our brain of going off, going off, but now we know what they mean. You know, our son was dying before our eyes and I had no idea. But after about a week, actually less than a week, we got, uh, they sent his tumor out, comes back and they were being so hopeful that it was germ cell tumor. They did not want it to be what it was. And it comes back and then they take us into this little room that I call in. I, it's like doomsday when you walk, huh? Yeah. When you have an appointment at a certain time, I remember it was two or two or three o'clock. The results were in. They already did rounds in the morning. I'm like, you all know what he has and you, nobody wants to tell us yet because we have to have a professional appointment. 
And it's like doomsday when you're walking through the halls and then you sit down and everybody has a conference going on. And that's when they tell us, they give us this package of like paperwork and they're like, you know, your son has a grade four and it's called a glioblastoma. The actual marker is an H3 K27M. And we were looking at each other like, what are you talking about? What is, how do you even spell glioblastoma? And they looked at us and the first thing Oscar says is, is this cancer? And they're saying yes. And then he was just like, first other words out of your mouth is, how long does my son have to live? And they were like, we're being hopeful that he, it's an infant glioblastoma and he lives a prosper life. And Oscar's like, I just need you to tell me the truth. And they're like, well, let's just take this step. So right then and there, I, of course, they were like, Google's not your best friend. Well, Google kind of was my best friend as a mom because I'm like, what the hell is glioblastoma, you know? From there, like I said, that packet, they already gave, in that packet was already the list of chemos that they were already, they already had formulated like, okay, you know what, we're going to put him on, you know, at that time we didn't know any of the names, but you know, now it's, they're going to put him on vincristine and they're going to put him on temozolide. He's going to take carboplatin. So it's And there was two or three other ones he was supposed to be on. And they were already telling us that he's not going to, he could be infertile and all these things getting thrown at you as a parent. You're just like, oh my God, like I have to make these decisions. He's only two, like he's just a baby. Like, really? Is this normal? Like, what did I do wrong? And they're like, we don't know what happened. That word that I always tell people, rare. It's so rare that he got glioblastoma. Really? Because, I mean, we're starting to meet different families that I haven't met one yet that has a two-year-old that has a glioblastoma or has glioblastoma. But they're all a little older, but still they're all children, you know, that we continue to meet. And I'm like, this is not rare. What was interesting, though, through this journey is that we tried so hard to get Liam to a trial in Stanford, actually. And because people were very wanting to know more about his tumor because he is diagnosed with glioblastoma, but he also has markers of DIPG. So they're just like, well, what's going on kind of thing. But unfortunately, we never got the opportunity to donate Liam's brain like we wanted to. And we, you know, did talk about it towards the end of his life because that's when COVID hit. And everybody with the researchers were trying to find a a vaccine for COVID. So we will never know if Liam's brain could have helped somebody else. But that's where we started. The chemo was given to him mid-August. Yeah. Yeah, August. Because he had a heal from the brain surgery. Yeah. My husband was, and I'll let you talk about that, very, very scared because we noticed right away that he couldn't move the left side of his body. So everything got paralyzed on the left side is from his eye to his lip to his arm. He was no, he was no longer able to walk. So his arm, um, his leg, you know, they tried doing physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, and his leg and his and ended up getting Cronus, so he just couldn't bend his ligaments no more. They just stayed straight. You could tell circulation wasn't as good because his feet were always cold or his left mm-hmm. foot was always cold. From there, in November... November is, 9th, actually. No, yeah, November 9th on Tracy's birthday. Because we were able to bring him home every so often when he wasn't on chemotherapy. And then he had another seizure. His actual first big seizure. Yeah. We took him back in. We took him back in. And Oscar's very positive. I'm the one that's like, give it to me straight up. 
something's wrong again. My mind, my heart, and my gut. That mother instinct. I looked at Oscar. I was like, something's wrong with our son. And he kept, I call it the flicker. He was flinching his hand, like flickering, moving it back and forth. Like It was a focal seizure. Yeah, it was a focal seizure. And he was just wise, wide open. And I'm like, that's not normal. My sister came because everybody was arriving because they wanted to do a little barbecue with Liam and and me home because it was my birthday. And my sister's like, okay, calm down because they know I start panicking, right? And my sister's like, calm down. Maybe it's nothing, you know? I said, he's having a seizure. And she was just like, how do you know? And I'm like, I don't know. Right at that time, I didn't know what seizures were too. I don't know what, what made me say a seizure, but I was right. Again, he gets airlifted again. They gave him um, some rescue medicine, which again, I know Liam's around us and I know he hears me and, and I smile sometimes because I'm like, son, you were just amazing. A lot of things that people say that would knock them out. I don't recall. I can't remember what it was, but it did a reverse effect. Instead of putting them to sleep, it actually made them super hyper. So, you know, I remember being in, end up flying into chalk again, and we had to do a, an EKG. The EKG. And we had to keep them up. And poor little guy. As it is, that medication did a reverse effect on him. He had to stay up another 24 hours and I couldn't let him sleep as they needed to capture the seizures. And we were like crazy people at eight in the morning singing, dancing. And he's like, no, you guys, I'm going to sleep. Like I'm done. (laughs) This was after 48 hours of everything happening. But that's when we found out again that. He ended up getting an MRI. An MRI. Yeah. And it comes back that he had multiple growth again. Yeah, spread. It spread around the brain. And our next hope was radiation. And that's when things moved fast. He turned three. September. In September. So he was his third birthday. We celebrated with the oncology floor and, you know, other patients. So by November, he was already three. And then that's when they started rushing his make-a-wish. And I was just like, why are we rushing this? Like, my son's going to live. Well, first, that's when we originally on the diagnosis said it was 50 50. And then in November, they said he had 10% chance to know. So it went from 50 to 10. And that's when they started rushing out the, it's probably better that you guys start doing your make a wish now. And we're like, what do you mean it's probably better? Like, my husband's like, my son's going to live. And then I'm thinking he's going to live too. He's going to be a miracle and stuff. And again, like, I didn't know that much of glioblastoma. A lot of things are a blur. I didn't know how invasive it was. I know more about the blood-brain barrier. I know a lot more of the stuff of doing a lot of research with this disease. But after that, we did the Make-A-Wish. He went into radiation. He didn't get the proton radiation because it's in San Diego and there was not enough time. So the way the tumor presented itself, it was very aggressive and we couldn't do the proton radiation. He did do an intense radiation that they normally don't do on children his age because it was in three weeks. It was a three weeks instead of a six weeks course. After that, Liam, again, I hate to say this word, but a lot of people say he is a rare case because the radiation does help people with glioblastoma. With him, it aggravated the tumor and the tumor encapsulated itself and basically did a shield, what they call and said, nope. And then it continued to grow and spread. We got into by January, remember January 1st, 2020, we were in the hospital. 
Leanne, they tell us that Liam only had basically less than a year to live. We did a, like a palliative type of chemo, which was, it was palliative, it was care. palliative care to try to prolong his life. March, 2020 beginning, we got another MRI. It seemed all tumors were gone. He got spots in his back nodules. His neurosurgeon at the time was like, let's just celebrate that he has a beautiful brain. It's clear. And I'm looking at him like, well, what are these nodules? And he's just like, okay, let's not focus on that. And I'm like, yes, let's focus on that because that means, because again, I'm a mom that does research. I'm like, that means that this cancer is in the spinal fluid. It's floating back and forth. So when is it going to start attaching to the brain? And I'm, again, I'm being hopeful. I, I'm, we're very religious. I'm holding on to my faith. And I saw Liam start to decline in March. And I'm telling my husband something's wrong. Like, when is it enough as a parent to continue to sign off on palliative type of chemos when you know things are not looking good? Because at that time, I'm like, he can't say yes or no. He's so little. I remember crying the night before and I'm telling Liam, like, I, mommy needs to know when you want me to stop. Like, when do I stop, Liam? He's just staring at me. And I just remember his little eyes, big brown eyes, just be like, I'm like, I don't know when to stop. Right then and there, we get, um, he gets another seizure. We take him in. Things are, I'm like, something's wrong with my child. He gets another MRI. And it's May 1st, his April Fool's Day, because that's my father's birthday. April 1st, is in May. Oh, sorry. April 1st, 2020. And we get his results. And his doctor was like, we need to talk. I said, I knew it. She goes, I need you guys to take Liam home. And I said, why? She goes, because I'm only keeping, I only think he has two weeks to live. So I'm sorry. The MRI shows that he has. It pretty much, it lit up. It lit up with all these tumors. And like I told you, Amber, in March when they're celebrating him, I was like, when is this going to attack his brain? Because this is not okay. <laughs> and then I was already COVID. So we had to start signing paperwork saying that to not resuscitate. We had to make that decision, you know, if he starts passing. And I'm just like standing there like, oh. like your hands are tied as a parent. Like you're never as a mom or a father supposed to watch your child die. <laughs> you're supposed to be gone before them. This isn't supposed to happen. COVID hit, so restrictions of visitors were gone. And I looked at Oscar and I said, we need to, his best friend, you know, was Luke. And it, it continues to be. But I'm like, how do I explain this to my four-year-old who has a wisdom of a teenager? And how am I going to tell my two-year-old, she turned two, hey, like, your brother's not going to come back again. Like, it was a lot at once. That's when they put a morphine drip on him and all these things. And I didn't say it during the, the talk about Liam's journey, but around January, February, we did go see a doctor of cannabis because we searched so many options for Liam because there was no stone unturned because we wanted to save our child. But um, after nine days being here, we had to take him back because we didn't want him to pass here at home because his passing was very traumatic. Even to this day, we talk about it. It would have been hard on the other two kids. And I will share this out loud. I really don't talk about it. But Liam sees for two hours and it was like he was getting electrocuted. So you could only imagine a three-year-old laying in a bed and his eyes rolling back 
constantly for every three minutes, it seemed like huh? his body was start arching, arching. And what they explained to me is that it was like fireworks going off in his brain and his body was going into forced shutdown. So his whole body was healthy except the brain and yeah, the spine. But I've never seen Oscar. I don't know where I got the strength as a mom standing there and, you know, telling my baby it was going to be okay when I know it was the most traumatic thing and Oscar looking like he was going to go crazy in the room. But after Liam fought very hard to be with us, it, he didn't pass till the next morning till 5.08 in the mornings when they did time of death. But to this day, I always wonder, what if we had one type of hope to save our son's life? But that's uh, the story about our son. I like don't even know how to keep interviewing you guys. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. And I think that your story, just hearing that will help a lot of people. I'm so sorry you guys had to go through that. We'll be right back in just a moment. And now back to the conversation. How do you feel that you were able to get through all of this? That is a good question. In reality, I don't know how we got through that. We don't, because I'm going to be honest. And and since we're all here and, you know, I'm very open about everything. In July 2019, Oscar and I were actually divorcing. So the day that Liam fell ill was the day that I said, I'll give our family our marriage one more try. So at that moment, when our son fell ill, all whatever our problems were from the past was our focus on our son. And that brought us together now. Two years later, Liam hasn't been with us for the last 25 months, 26. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of strength to communicate because we both grieve differently. But our son, and I always tell this to people, like, I did lose faith a lot. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. But I know deep down inside, the whole time that I was teaching my son about an afterlife, and I know he was three, like I said, the way he would look at me, and I would coach him, like, you're going to go to heaven. You're going to wait for mommy and daddy and we'll see you again. Gave me that strength at that time as a mom. And of course, the community, community of people that continue to pray. We call them our Liam's prayer warriors to this yeah, day. There was a lot of people that. Across the world. That you know, prayed for yeah, him. there was a lot of people. I that, think our nonprofit even like shared that. And I know we got involved too. Like definitely. Yes, I think that's yeah, how we first got connected. Yeah. yeah. You, you guys helped share his story at that time. You know, you're in a daze and. I think our community a lot because there was people that were, they started like a meal train because when you're going through that, you know, we have other kids and it's hard just to be like, okay, do I have time to cook? And people buy either buying us meals or bringing meals, or we had family members that were saying, Hey, you know what? We'll clean your house. Don't worry about the laundry. You know, my wife's grandparents, God bless them. They always came. My grandparents are older too. Yeah, They always (laughs) visited Liam and, during his journey, Liam always had very colorful bedsheets. That's what he was known for. So he always had like character bedsheets and his little animals. And they would always come and do his laundry. So they would wash his sheets to make sure he always had clean sheets. And even when he was still here, we, we had a sheet, like, you know, a bedsheet drive because we wanted 
to bring joy to other kids. Because sometimes when you go in those hospital rooms, all you see is just the white, white hospital, white and blue hospital sheets. And sometimes could be a little depressing, especially when you're in there 15 days, 30 days, a whole month going in and out of there. So we had a, we set up a drive where we donated sheets and at that time COVID hit. So we couldn't really donate anymore, but little things like that helped us get through to know that even though people were helping us, that we could still be of help to to somebody else. And our son, the joy that our son brought us, he's a peacemaker. I think gives us a strength of parents. And knowing that we continue to, we did take a step back. And I told that to the community recently because Luke and Aria needed us a lot. So somebody once told me, as much as you were there for Liam, you dropped everything, right? And as parents, you feel guilty. And I talk about this, Oscar, I'm, I look at our daughter, I'm like, where did time go? And I look at Luke and my other son, I'm like, God, they grew up so fast. But you have to remember when something would happen, Liam, boom, I would rush to, we live in Lake Elsinore. So I would rush through the 91 and my parents will come from Covina and then just, it was kind of like, I would give my kids to them like, okay, bye. And I have to run inside with Liam, you know? And thank God for my parents that were always there, like taking care of the other two, but we missed out on a lot of them because we cared for our son, which it's nothing wrong. It's just that balance as a parent now, like that's where I think we find our strength together. And we're going to start marriage counseling. He's already doing counseling for himself. I need it for me at least as a mom, because I live a double life. It's hard now because I'm living, but I'm dead. Like when my son died, I died with him. But I have to live because I have the other two. And that guilt that I live with, like, I shouldn't smile. But then at the same time, I should. And one thing Luke told me is, he showed me what he did for school. And it was around St. Patrick's Day, huh? And I said, why are you so lucky? Why are you the luckiest little boy? He says, because I have a strong mom and she's always happy. (laughs) Right there, I was like. If my son sees me happy, I know I'm doing something. But even though I'm hurting inside. So I think as parents, like through the journey, especially losing a child and then having two other like other children that need you. It's hard. It's mentally hard. We have to be able to rely on each other. And that's the most important thing is set our differences aside and band together (laughs) because someone else needs your help. Right. Absolutely. And how do you feel like your kids, your other two kids have gone through this whole process? Like, how are they doing? How were they during Liam's journey? During Liam's journey, like I said, I don't think Arya understood, but um, she's very in tune with her feelings for being four. I have a bear that has Liam's ashes. And so when we take like anywhere we go as a family, he comes along. Some people might think it's odd, but we don't think it's odd because that's a decision that our family makes to bring comfort. To and that's them. all that matters. It's yeah. about you. It's no one's business. <laughs> yeah. If it makes you feel good, you do it. So she's very, very in tune. Like when the day that the morning he passed, right, my mom says that they had a crib in their room, in their room. And of course, you know, I call my parents and I'm going to share another thing personal. When Liam was passing, this is how strong his bond of his siblings are. He wouldn't let go. So after he stopped seizing around 11 p.m., it started like 7.30-ish around shift change. And it stopped around 11-ish, him seizing. So two full hours we witnessed our son seizing, I call it to death. They stabilized him. So what they were doing, they were trying to put in his body morphine 
and Verset. Verset. So they were titrating it up. And the doctor explained the first set of morphine and Verset would have took out Oscar, me, and her. So they call Liam the Hulk to this day because it took a good six titrations of morphine and six titrations of Verset to get his body to settle. And that's not including maybe what they did prior because, I mean, I wasn't counting. So he's known as the Hulk because his body would not relax. So that night of him passing after midnight, I quickly thought, let me FaceTime my mom. But of course, I wasn't going to show the baby. I call him, Liam is always going to be my baby. But I said, I'm not going to show the baby because I don't want Luke to get freaked out. But Liam didn't look like Liam. And so when I called and I said, I just need Luke on the phone. I need him to say goodbye and tell his brother that he's going to be okay. And again, as a parent, I did that for me. I know other parents might not want to do that for their kids. But at that moment, I was like, they have such a strong connection. They did everything together, slept together, played together, everything you name it, they did it together. And when Luke got on the phone and said, hey, Liam, I will see you later. You can go be with God. I love you. Like I said, Liam never cried, never complained. At that moment, these big tears came down dripping to his ears. And I looked at Oscar like, are you witnessing what I'm witnessing? These two have a bond that as parents, and you could agree or disagree, I feel like we broke it. We couldn't save him. So even to this day, Luke always tells me there's no really help out there for grief in children. I don't know why. And this is why I went back to school to specialize in child development. And I want to work with children in the grief process because my son is struggling. And we don't talk about that as often. Like they're like, oh, they'll forget about it. They're kids. No, my son is a visual person. He looks at his room and he's like, one day just broke down. I don't record everything anymore because, you know, he doesn't like to be on camera. And he was like, do you not see my room? Like my room shape as an L meaning Luke and Liam or my son to this day, it's been 26 months and he still has Liam shirts in his closet because he tells me I'm not ready to get rid of it. Recently, actually a week ago, he said, I think it's time we make a blanket and I'm ready. I let him navigate it on his grief. And I tell him, I have no words on why your brother isn't here. I'm sorry. but I'm trying and we'll see him one day and just guiding him and telling him I have a video of Luke saying oh I want to go to heaven I want to go see him and explaining to him and of course I as a mom like oh my god this is mentally hurting my son like you know or when he thought once COVID's done he can come back so it's a big struggle as parents because you're trying to yes grieve yourself but at the same time help your children Do you feel like there's anything that you two do day to day or in your life to help with grief or to help with coping or to, I guess, keep you guys strong and I guess just continue pushing on? Like I know you said you're big into faith, like it's like praying something you do often. Like what do you guys do that that helps you find comfort and strength, like to continue everything that you that you do? One thing we are big of is, you know, making sure you're communicating your feelings. So we check in with each other daily. We check in with Luke, check in with Aria, like, hey, Luke, are you feeling? Because he has my tendencies where I tend to just bottle everything up and say I'm fine when I'm really not. So it's a daily check in, like, hey, how are you feeling? How are you feeling today? You know, are you sad, mad, happy? And he's like, oh, you know, I'm fine. Are you sure? 
Luke wears his emotions on his sleeve. So you could, his facial expressions will tell you like, uh, you know, I'm not good or I'm bothered or we like to check in just every day to see how we're doing. I know a lot of, I do, uh, you know, in the morning, I'll ask my wife, hey, how are you feeling or how are you doing? Mm. I like to just make sure that we're doing okay. Or And I think we're more, we're starting to learn that men, it's okay for men to show emotions. So we grew up where men shouldn't show emotions, but we're teaching Luke, it is okay to show emotion as a, a man. It's okay to cry. And Oscar cries. Oscar talks to Luke about his feelings. We're very open when it comes to feelings and asking for permission huh, for when it comes to Liam stuff. We still have all Liam stuff. They're actually in front of us that we're doing this recording because we as a family made a decision to cremate him because Luke, again, is in tune with his brother. And if I would have left him at a cemetery, Luke would have flipped out. We know our son like, huh? He asks us so much questions like, well, why do people leave people at a cemetery? And I'm like, well, this is, you know, I have to explain to him. And he was just like, okay, but we're not leaving him there. I'm like, I know. It's always asking permission. We still haven't got rid of Liam's stuff. We're still in the works because as it is, it's very hard. But it's just, I think that's how we're coping. And like I said, we're trying to figure out this grief type of programs what out there. We tried one. We didn't like it because I'm like, you guys are not paying attention to our feelings. <laughs> and I mean, talking to other people recently, Oscar has talked to a lot of dads in the fight, out of the fight, and those that have lost children. Well, I also wanted to say congratulations on going back to school. I know it's extremely challenging to bounce back after a horrible diagnosis just as this, but I think it's incredible that you're going back to school and working to make the lives of kids dealing with grief that much better and hopefully more communicative. So, I mean, again, congratulations. And I know that's a not an easy feat. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think you'll definitely help many, many kids in the future. I know that we had originally connected through Instagram because you guys were so vocal on Liam's story. And I know you still do keep, you do continue posting still. How do you feel like Liam and not only not only just Liam, but sharing his story has helped others or has changed the lives of other people. I personally, we just had a family over who child is in remission. And she looked at me last Saturday and they came over and she goes, Tracy, I admire you because you are so vocal. When I started the journey, I could even share my daughter's story because I was in this depression and stuff. And like, I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. And they also have three kids. And I think that sharing Liam's story, what it's so crazy. We say this, but we have so much family or had so much family that it was hard to communicate with everybody. So I told my sister, I was sitting in the, his room one day and I said, everybody's texting me. I'm getting overwhelmed. And no offense to the family if they ever hear this. It's not that they overwhelm us. It's just at that moment as parents, you're communicating the same thing over and over again. And so I told her, what happens if I start an Instagram page and everybody just gets the information from there? She's like, that's such a good idea. And when I started hearing these verbiages and then the things that he was going through, the vomiting, the NG2, you know, placement and us learning, I'm like, do people not realize that kids get cancer too? I only thought brain cancer hit adults. I'll be honest with you. I have like, you know, an aunt who has, through marriage, she had a tumor. It wasn't malignant. Malignant. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, 
kids get tumors too? And doctors are like, yeah, they do. And I'm like, how, you know, but sharing Liam's story, is just really gives people an eye opening, like from diagnosis all the way to death. I really don't share too much of death and it's hard to take pictures, videos, and I get it. And I tell that to so many families, take the videos, the good, the bad, the ugly, because later on you could educate somebody on, hey, this is the reality of cancer. This is the reality of the lives that we live. There's no acting in this. This is all raw footage. Even the moment that we took them to the last day to the hospital, remember, we went live and Oscar's carrying Liam out of the room. It's crazy how that video never saved, but some people did screenshot. They're like, Tracy, looking at your face at that moment of you in the car leaving your house for a final goodbye with your son was horrible as a witness. I can't even put myself in your shoes. And I'm like, that's what we have to do as parents. I'm showing you the good, the bad, and the ugly because we need to start coming together and finding a cure. I always say kids are ever-changing. They're blossoming, right? If we find a cure, even if in a child, they're ever-changing. They're growing every day. We could totally find a cure for an adult or vice versa, an adult, and we could you know, see how it is in a child, you know? But I think for those that are not in the journey or just We get a lot of friends that don't understand us. I know it it rubs them like they get kind of, what did somebody tell you? It's not like they don't care. It just, it hurts them to see these things because they don't, they don't like to see these things. But Oscar's like, hey man, but this is the reality we face because it could happen to anybody. We were a regular family trying to raise three kids and no genetics of cancer or glioblastoma and because we got genetic testing in our family. So we don't know what happened. I mean, I'll give my wife credit. Her sharing Liam's story probably gave people who didn't have a voice. You know, there was a lot of families that, you know, that would message us and be like, hey, like, I'm so scared to share my story. Like, what are people going to think of me? Or, and Tracy was that light to a lot of people to just to have people come out of their shell and advocate for their own kids. So I do want to give her that credit. And, you know, that's, one of the things that Liam's page did is, you know, bring awareness and had other families feel okay that they can share their story because, um, you know, a lot of society or they turn a blind eye to, you know, the children. I mean, just the research funding still being only what 3.8% for children's cancer. I mean, that's almost everybody turning a blind eye to that. And I think a lot of what our organization is trying to do is that it's a very large stigma in cancer that like you don't care unless it affects you or like you don't know about it, especially glioblastoma. Like, you know, again, like I was in the same place, like my dad got diagnosed and I literally Googled what is glioblastoma. So I think it's really important what you guys have done, which is also share a lot of knowledge and say like, hey, like you need to learn about this and you should know about this because it can happen to anyone. And that's a really important thing that a lot of people are starting to learn, hopefully, through the advocacy work that you guys have been doing and have been so strong with. We, I mean, we ran a campaign where, you know, we were had a lot of people sign a petition to send to the White House to raise funding because it's, you know, it's ridiculous as far as how much funding is allocated to to cancer, especially to children. I mean, it's very little to and disheartening to say because the children are the future. I mean, you know, all this stuff is going to adult cancer and not to say nothing about that, but I mean, what about the children who are infants? 
no, zero through 10, 12, 14. 18, I mean, they're starting their lives, you know, but, and it's true. And, and then speaking to those that have, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't even know your dad had glioblastoma, Amber. I, That's why I started the nonprofit. <laughs> You're amazing. I, did, I didn't even know. Maybe yes. we connected, but I'm telling you, I was in a float before. Sometimes people are like, I talked before. I'm like, you did? I'm so sorry. I know like we talked, but I don't know what was exchanged. But that's why I'm like, no, we need to figure it out. And as adults, I don't know if your dad ever explained to you, but the the medication that they get is the same thing as what children get. Yeah. And you could see personalities. I don't know if that's this happened, but talking to other people, personalities change, especially being on Keppra, seizure medicine, or Kytro, the nausea medicine, right? Yeah. Or am I saying it right? I don't yeah. know if I'm getting it right or confused, guys. But their personality changes. And like I said, Liam never complained in anything, but sometimes he'll start scratching you, like grabbing you. And I'm like, okay, are you just picking up a bad habit, you know? But no, it, it could have been effects of the medication, you know, made him more aggressive. Right. But we don't know these things. Right. And our, our organization, actually, it's not publicly announced yet. And I guess I'm not I mean, announcing on the podcast. The next project we're funding is a pediatrics project, which I'm so incredibly excited about. I can't announce any particular details, yet, <laughs> but it is, it is pediatric and I'm so excited about it. And nice. so hopefully this is a start to, to helping hopefully find a cure for, for childhood cancer. Oh, yeah. You know, whenever you do launch this, I mean, if, if there's anything that we can do on our part, I mean, Absolutely. we're more than, you know, willing and able to help out in anything, you know, spreading the word or putting the grease and, you know, getting to it. <laughs> Absolutely. And I guess to just wrap things up here, is there any bit of information that you want to share with anyone listening, whether they're a parent, a patient, a family, a loved one of someone with glioblastoma? Is there anything you want to share from your journey? Never be afraid to speak up and never be afraid to ask for help. That's the one thing that I feel like a lot of it's a stigma. Like, you know, it's not bad to ask for help. You can't shoulder everything yourself. Rely on resources that are out there available. At that time, not you can't do the research, but I mean, it's pretty much educate yourself or know what's out there and know what's available. And if you don't know, you know, reach out to someone and network. I mean, networking has helped us out a lot and we like to give back as well. And I've personally seen glioblastoma. Every case is going to be different. Everybody don't think that if your loved one or yourself is diagnosed with glioblastoma, it's the end because there's people that are surviving. There's but. It is a very hard disease. And one thing is be patient as much as you can. And what I always tell people, make memories, take pictures, do those videos and tell each other you love each other. Because at the end of the day, we don't know how long we're here for. So try to be the change in somebody's life or even your loved ones. Because to this day, I wish I would have got more videos or messages of Liam saying, happy Father's Day or happy birthday. Or, you know, I did get videos of Liam saying that, well, I love, you know, each one family member of Luke, Ari, and Oscar. They, I did that for his wake. But, you know, and I said, we'll be together soon. But I wish I would have had more moments. And as a mom, I'm going to be honest, we're in the fight and we're not getting dolled up. And it's okay to take those pictures where you're feeling like the lowest because that's that moment. So I wish I wasn't behind the camera. I was more in front with my baby. But yeah. That's so great. And I think that's really helpful. And that will be helpful to a lot of people. 
Thank you both so much again for taking the time to speak with me and sharing so much personal information about not only Liam, but yourselves as well. I think it's a really raw and interesting conversation that will impact a lot of people. And I'm so thankful that you trusted me and my nonprofit enough to be (laughs) able to share this. So thank you guys. And uh, I really do appreciate it. Thank you for having us. I mean, it's a wonderful opportunity to share, you know, our son's story and hopefully we can change someone else's life. That's it for this week's show. Thank you so much for tuning in again to another episode of Glioblastoma, a.k.a. GBM. To get in touch with our organization, visit us online at gbmresearch.org or visit us on Instagram or Facebook at Glioblastoma Research. Visit us on Twitter at glioblastoma.org or visit us on LinkedIn at Glioblastoma Research Organization. To make a donation to the organization, which is fully tax deductible, visit us online at gbmresearch.org, where you can designate your donation in honor of someone or find other methods that you can make a donation with. Thank you again for supporting us, for supporting the show, and we'll see you next week.